Very good. Hey, uh, I just want to thank uh, Andrew and the team. Uh, as always, the worship was fantastic. But what a tremendous choice of songs and the words and them. Just fantastic, guys. And the other thanks I should give, uh, when I've been doing this series, a number of people have come up to me, thank you very much, and said, Bruce, you have really upskilled. Your PowerPoints and everything are amazing. <laughs> I took the credit for it, sorry Luke, uh, but then I, I repented about that, so I must give credit, I didn't do them, Luke did, didn't he, hasn't he done a fantastic job? So I do appreciate that, thank you very much. So this morning we're going to do the last session on James chapter 1, and we will pick up chapter 2 and the other chapters at some time through our journey, but um, I have really enjoyed bringing them, and, and this one's another message which is uh, dear to my heart. We're going to be talking about the issue of faith. And I think the whole issue of faith is terribly misunderstood. And um, for, for most of us, I think we confuse faith with hope. Now, I'm not going to talk about hope this morning, but I hope to at some stage because it's... Uh, uh, some of you got this. Some of you are... Well, There's a good joke coming up, so you're going to have to concentrate to get this stuff. But um, anyway, I think that's a confusion, and hopefully I can help clarify some of that using James and the time. Anyway, I won't do that anymore, sorry. So I hope you get this joke. So this man took a cruise. And after the second day on the cruise, he noticed this woman staring at him constantly. So he finally went over to her and he said, ma'am, do I know you? And she says, no, but you just look like my third husband. And he said, oh my gosh, how many times have you been married? And she said, twice. <laughs> there you did, you did that very well. Very good, very good. It's not really a definition of faith, but I think it's where we, some of us, confuse it sometimes. So, Okay, so let's try and get a little bit serious and uh, move into what James has got to say. So we're in chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here we have that James turns us to the manner of which God gives, which is in abundance, to the manner that we are meant to ask. Now, let me make this statement here, and we don't have to learn a particular thing to quote or paraphrase, but God takes a lot of notice of the way we talk to him and the way we ask and the way we request things. And he doesn't always grant our requests. And before we get annoyed with that, because I often do, uh, we need to understand that God is a good father. And we talked about raising kids a bit last week. And any self-respecting parent does not grant all their, the requests their children make to them. And we said last week, you know, those kids that do get so much of that are a bit of a pain to be around. And God's the same with us. So... He is not about just granting any request just because he loves us 
but he specifically looks at the heart behind what we are requesting. And we need to take that into account. So remember this whole passage we've just looked at starts off first with wisdom. And so here is the issue. God wants to grant any request that is wise, that is made by faith, and that is consistent with his character. That is important that we understand that. So here is the defining principle. Firstly, to grasp this, and we've sung a lot about this this morning, we must understand the majesty and the wonder of who God is. He is so great, so amazing, so holy, so majestic, that it's absolutely crazy for any of us to think we can grab a formula often which people confuse faith with being, that will back God into a corner and force him to comply with our requests. That is crazy. He is not going to do it. He's God. And he knows he is God. He can't be manipulated. He can't be pushed into things. He can't be cornered. He is too holy, too majestic, too great, too amazing to be caught in any of that. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we should worship him. We should thank God that he doesn't grant all our requests. Amen? We really should. Hindsight will show that to us often. See, a whole good definition of faith is simply the trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And James describes true faith as a firm, unwavering commitment to God and Christ that is tested and refined in trial. We've already talked about that in one of the earlier sessions. And so what we need to understand is that the journey of faith you and I are all on is a living learning, trial and error type walk that takes a whole lifetime to perfect. Now, we don't actually even perfect it in a whole lifetime, but God helps us grow in it with a lot of grace and a lot of mercy as we go through this. But what we need to understand, and we need to get this over and over again, is that God is controlling all things Primarily, which means in the first instant, on the basis of what he is doing on this planet, on the basis of where he is going on this planet, and on the basis of then where our life, our calling, our DNA, our makeup has been designed by him to fit into that. So if you want to get 100% of your prayers answered, you have to line your life up with all of those things. And it's only in that context that Jesus says, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. He can't say that he is going to do that regardless of whatever it is. He can't do that because he can't get outside the will of the Father and the Father does have a plan and a purpose for the whole of this world, for all the events that take place and for your role and my role in it. 
and see that's the emphasis that we have to be lining ourselves up with. That's why we get up and pray and, and read his word and seek his face and worship him and praise with him and fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We're endeavoring to line ourselves up to the plan and purposes of God, which puts us in the main flow of his blessing. And that's where the main flow is. Will God bless us if we get outside of it? Thank goodness he does because he's a loving, gracious God. But he will allow events to take place in our life that are designed to put us back on that straight and narrow pathway. And it's one of the major roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our life. So firstly, the faith formula, if you want to use that word, means our focus must be on Christ and his kingdom first. And you can say, well, hang on a minute, James didn't say that. No, because James knew that Matthew did in Matthew 6, 33. So James is speaking to believers and he is assuming some measure of understanding. Matthew 6, 33, in case you don't know, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all else will be done for you. So James assumes that is clearly understood. And let me give this formula, and there's no condemnation here because I do it all the time unrepentantly. But just putting in Jesus' name on the end of your prayers is not a formula to have them all answered. Now, I'm not saying don't do it. It's not quite what the New Testament teachers meant or Jesus meant, but that's okay. And by the way, I don't want to get off the track, but if we're ever in any form of warfare against the enemy, we must use the name of Jesus. It's so important to understand that. But it's not something we have to put on anything we pray. But don't worry about it. If We all do that, and that's fine. But here's what we need to understand. Just using Jesus' name doesn't mean we now have access to an unlimited bank account in him that we can make withdrawals from at will because it just doesn't work that way. And in your times of worship, thank Jesus that it doesn't. Oswald Chambers makes a statement here. There is nothing easier than getting into the right relationship with God unless it is not God you seek, but only what he can give you. There is nothing easier than getting into the right relationship with God unless it is not God that you seek, but what he can give you. See, the deeper our relationship with God, the stronger our belief, the more likely our prayers will be in line with God's will and then God will be able to happily grant them and he grants them in abundance. He goes way beyond what we think of or ask for Ephesians 1.18, a great passage that promises that. But it's always conditional on us walking with him and as, as Jesus said to Peter... Get behind me, Satan. I, always, I still struggle with that today, that he was so harsh on Peter. But he's saying, get behind me, Satan, because you're what? you are not setting your mind on the Father's will. Jesus was very harsh when he saw that that wasn't happening. 
So the deeper our relationship, the stronger our belief, the more likely our prayers will be in line in God's will. Now, I want to clarify, and this is one of the keys this morning, what doubt means. Because James says to ask without doubting. And we, being good, charismatic, Pentecostal, evangelical Christians, whatever you call yourselves, and I'm in all of those things unashamedly, but we have made mantras out of this. So we think, I'm a bit short of money, so I'm going to believe there's going to be $500 in my letterbox this morning. So I'm believing it. Oops, slipped and doubted for a minute. Get back. I'm believing it. And then we rush off to the letterbox. I'm believing, I'm believing. See, sometimes it's important, and I'm not a Greek scholar, to go back to the Greek and what it is. Because those of you who speak more than one language knows you can't just directly change every word from one language to another. Now, the Greek word is called diakrino. And I want to explain this to you because this is what doubt is. This is where we're told not to doubt. It literally means to make a decision based upon a correct judgment. Now, if you listen to me carefully, and I'll do my best and pray that the Holy Spirit helps me, I'll try and clarify this. In the literal Greek translation, a doubting person is a person who is not completely convinced that God's way is best. Let me repeat that. A doubting person is a person who is not completely convinced that God's way is best. They make, they, such a person And sorry about my glasses, my new ones will be here next week, so I've got to keep taking these on and off. Such a person retains the option to disobey. They're not convinced God's purpose is the best, so they retain the option to disobey if they don't like it. They make a poor judgment. They'll consider their own subjective feelings, that is what I want, Their own reason, does this seem reasonable? The world's ideas, is there something better out there than what God is offering me? Along with God's commands and then choose which one suits them best. Now this is what James is teaching and Jesus taught about doubt. When he says, let not you be like the person who's doubting, which gets tossed every which way on the waves, because those people are weighing up all the options to what suits them best, rather than what is God saying in this, and what should we do here? That's it. That's why James and Jesus are after this thing called doubt and saying don't doubt. It means don't think God doesn't know best and submit yourself to him and put all those other things aside. That's it. That's what it means. Now we understand it's not some formula, I've got to believe, I've got to believe, I've got to try hard to believe. And I love what... The man said that Jesus heals, and Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, of course I do, Lord, help my unbelief. And all of us will pray that prayer often, and that's fine, because we all struggle. This is not what James is talking about here. If you want to be stopped being tossed around, rely on God to show you what is best 
for you. How do you do that? Just plug into relationship with him every day and through every situation of your life. Faith is not wandering around trying to believe what you have already asked for. And as we have already said, that would be dangerous and destructive. So I want to take that up. I've talked about this briefly before. I want to take this up into the issue of healing. Now, I grieve. One of the biggest things I grieve for, other than people suffering, which I hate, is the horrible confusion that is being sown in the body of Christ about healing. And it would take more than four sessions alone to get into this, but I want to touch an aspect of it right now so that hopefully we can see both sides of what it is and get a reasonable perspective on it in our own life and the lives of those around us. Because it is a very abused topic. See, I always said I would never become a Christian, as many of you know. I was an atheist for many years, too many years. But I always said I would never become a Christian unless the so-called God, who you claim is all-powerful and almighty, fronts up to me and explains himself why he allows suffering when he's got the power to prevent it. Well, guess what? I've now been a Christian for 40 years and I'm still wrestling with the question. Because God didn't feel he ever had to justify himself to me. And he doesn't to us. But because of his grace, he does give us some insights on these things. And the scriptures give us some insights on them. And it's a topic, it's called theodicy. Theodicy, if you really make it. But the topic is really, how does a loving, all-powerful, almighty God allow us to be sick? Uh, Does sickness even master God? Does our level of faith control our level of healing? That's the one that I passionately hate. Does our level of faith control our level of healing? If it does, God help all of us. Can the devil attack us when God forbids it? Where does sickness come from? And on we go. Now, I'm not going to get into all of these issues this morning. I hope one day when the Lord returns, I'll get a bit more understanding of it. But I still do a lot of reading and study and praying about it. But listen. Every one of us has to wrestle with the fact that God is undoubtedly sovereign. He is all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful, all-loving, all-merciful. Yet evil is clearly present in this falling world and often has its way. That's tough, guys, for all those things. And many people say, with some justification, that this issue is the Christian's great Achilles heel. See, if Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature, which he is, and if he upholds all things by the word of his power, which he does, we can learn a lot by observing Jesus' life when he was here on earth, as short as it was. So here is my question, and I get into debates with Christians everywhere on this stuff, and I'm, I'm fine with it, and I'm up for it. Here is my question. Did Jesus heal every sick person he came across when he was here on this earth? 
Now, here is the argument. Everyone that Jesus prayed for got healed. That is true. Beyond debate. But the issue is, what we miss here is that Jesus was selective in who he prayed for. Because he prayed where he saw the Father working. Now, I pray for people who are sick everywhere and anywhere because I'm not clever enough to know exactly where the Father is working and isn't. So I just open myself up and pray anyway and give him the benefit of the doubt. And I'll never stop doing that. I'm going to have an opportunity for that later on this morning. But the answer is, did Jesus heal everybody? The answer coming from Scripture is clearly no. See, let's start with the pool of Bethsaida. And he healed the man there. Everybody at that pool was sick. Everybody was in need of healing. Everybody was hoping to get in the water first and get healed. Jesus chooses one man only. And here's the amazing thing if we're going to be talking about faith. The man at the pool acted on Christ's invitation having no faith at all. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he looks at him and says, well, I don't know what planet you're on, but of course I do. That's why I'm here. And Jesus says, be healed, and he's healed. He didn't have any faith at all in Jesus healing him. Yet he got healed. Let me give you some more evidence. This intrigues me. Mark chapter 1. Jesus is in the later part of Mark from about verse 30 on. Jesus is at a house and all the people in the city, that this town, village, they're normally about 5,000 people in those days, come to his door and he starts healing the people, casting out demons, ministering as Jesus does. Then you read the next verse. I don't know whether I wrote it down. Verse 35. And do you know what verse 35 tells us? It's the next morning, then he got up. Here's an amazing thing. The whole town is down, all these people wanting healing, and at some point Jesus says, I need my sleep, good night, and he goes off to bed. You imagine if you were the next, no, don't imagine that. I was going to say the next person in line. Hey, hang on, just do one more. So he goes off to bed because the verse says the next morning he got up. And the disciples can't find him and he's away praying and and seeking the Lord. And the disciples come to him and say, all the people are back. They want to be healed. They want to be set free. They want to be delivered. And he says, no, we're not going back. We're going somewhere else this morning. And he left them there. Now, you can ask the question why and be my guest, ask God. But see, the point is God doesn't feel he has to give an excuse. He doesn't feel he has to justify himself. We can run around all the questions around this, and I do. But God just says, Jesus says, I have another mission today, and all those people are left in their current state. See, I've seen some incredible healing miracles take place in my own ministry and in the ministry of others. Absolutely incredible. And I've prayed for others where nothing obvious has happened at all. I don't understand why I've stopped asking God because he's never answered me. 
I, we went to India years ago, a group of us from this fellowship, and we were praying for people, and guys, it was phenomenal what was taking place. It changed my life forever. And I came back rejoicing in God right in front of us to see people healed, uh, deaf children getting their hearing back and looking around in amazement, hearing for the first time so much. But here's a picture I'm still bothered with. This woman came with a sick little boy day after day and we all prayed for him. And as far as I know, when I got on the plane and flew back home, he was still not healed. Yet all around other kids and people were being healed. I, why? I don't know. All I know is my role as a believer in God and who he is was to, to get out there amongst the people and pray for them and hopefully allow the Holy Spirit to come and minister and the rest of it is beyond anything I can control or understand. And we have some tough things we have to live with in that regard. Please, don't tell people the reason they're sick is because they lack faith, because the scriptures say God gives us the faith we need when we need it. It's a cruel, cruel thing to say. There will be people in the Christian community who will be sick and carrying weaknesses about in their body, people who will be poor and oppressed, people who are in prison. Some are being beaten and tortured, sadly, while we speak this morning for their faith. And people who are going through hard times, and we've talked enough about that. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Each of these people, those sick amongst us, those crippled, whatever, have their own God-given dignity that we need to respect. Each of those people in the current state they're in are able to serve God, are able to be a witness to his wonder and his glory and the light that he shines through them. Disabled people, crippled people, people born and carrying birth defects, those who are disabled socially or mentally and other such issues all have their own dignity and can all make a vital contribution to the body of Christ and to this planet in exactly the state they are. And that, brothers and sisters, is one of the great powers of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Do we want to see them healed? Of course we do. Are we longing to see more of that happening? Of course we are. Should we pray and fast and seek God for it? Of course we should. But we still have to make peace in the way that God works or in sometimes in our minds doesn't work. And we have to settle it. We have to come to peace in our walk and our journey with God with it. Does that mean you just say, I'm going to settle the fact that I'm sick? No, not according to James. James says later in chapter 5, if you are sick, call the elders, get people to pray for you. So we're not asked to do that. But somehow we have to make peace with the fact that God is sovereign. His will doesn't always line up with our will. And he doesn't always give us understanding at the time or sometime ever. Because he's God. It's a tough call, guys. I read a sign on a bus 
I was following a bus the other day in town and the, the sign said, growing old is not for sissies. <laughs> I am starting to understand what that sign meant, but I want to say this, being a Christian disciple on a true journey with Jesus Christ is not for sissies. It's not for sissies. The world who loves to criticise us, let them roll up their sleeves and try some of this stuff and they'll see it's not really a crutch to lean on. It's a force to be reckoned with and praise God for his transforming power. Otherwise, I don't know where any of us would be. Whenever the splendour of God's love falls on a life in any situation... That person begins to shine despite the circumstances they are in and we need to honour that. Now I'm coming to the end. See, faith is active confidence in the God who has revealed himself to us and is active confidence in the fact that if we put his kingdom and his righteousness first, his blessing will come not only to our lives, but the lives of the people around us and that we're involved in, regardless of the circumstances. God wants us to move on and on to higher levels. And this means that he has a plan and a purpose for us in every situation we find ourselves in. And if we seek him, he'll lead us through it. And much of what we've shared over the last three, three weeks has talked about that. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, I know you all know the scripture, says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Guys, that's a journey. It's not a five-minute formula. It's way in hindsight we look and say, Psalm 16, truly I, my life has been blessed and my lot has fallen in a, in a pleasant place. That is hindsight looking back. We don't always feel it when we're actually on the journey. It's all long term. So we need to focus on living that out, trusting and acknowledging God in all our ways. That's what faith is. That's our active confidence in him. And that's what we hold on to while we wait sometimes to see how the Lord is going to respond to our requests or the current situation that we find ourselves in. And I want to encourage you to sign up for that each day. And lack of faith will never be your problem. Now, I am going to pray and then turn this over to Bruce, but we are going to give you the opportunity to come forward this morning. If you want to, just remember, what have we talked about over the last few weeks? We've talked about trials and tribulations and how we need to embrace them. We've talked about temptations and how we never embrace them. And we've talked about wisdom through knowing the difference. Which one are we actually in and how should we deal with it? We've talked this morning about faith and healing, and I just want to encourage you. You may have been healed and set free while we talked about these things. I do believe in the power of the pulpit, obviously. 
But if you need prayer for any of these things, if you need some wisdom or insight, we can't do long counseling sessions here this morning, but we can pray for you. We can pray that if you're in a place of confusion, that God brings clarity to you. So I, I want to encourage you that if you're confused, if you don't know what's going on, if you need healing, if you need a touch from God, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer this morning. So let us pray. Father, we again surrender to you. What else can we do? But we can trust you are a faithful, loving God who, Lord, is working all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We trust you in that, Father. So in the midst of our confusion, Lord, we can often say, yes, I believe, but please, Lord, help my unbelief. We look to you for everything, Father, however you want to bring it to us. And Lord, we just thank you again for the freedom we have in this country and in this room today to meet together, to worship you, to love on our brothers and sisters and just stand in the joy of what it is to be called to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.